Hey everybody, I'm Nick Galfis. I play Dr. Halstead in Chicago Med, and you are listening to Meet Us at Molly's. Hey, Shy Hearts, welcome to episode 125 of Meet Us at Molly's. It is mid-season finale day. By day, I mean this is the day that we recap the mid-season finales. I, as always, I'm one of your hosts. My name's Gina. I'm joined by Bryna. Hello, everybody. I don't think I've ever had such like a visceral reaction to television in my life. I feel like traumatized by those episodes. See, it's so interesting that you say that because I didn't watch them live. I was working. And so I kind of knew going in, you know, I saw the spoilers. I saw Twitter or whatever. And so I didn't have the same reaction. I mean, I was, you know, I didn't like what I saw, but I wasn't like, I don't feel like I had the same reaction you did. Um, I cried four times, almost a fifth. Um, I've definitely had a splitting migraine all day um, just because I barely slept. Um, yeah, I, 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 this is the reason why I always say that I can't really watch Supernatural that often because like, I just always have such a, an emotional reaction to it. And I, th- this has just like, I am shooketh to my core. Yeah, there's definitely a lot to discuss. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. Okay, so we always usually start with the news. Um, we only have like little bits of news because all of the news this week, it's all been hyping the midseason finales. And so Tori's been doing a lot of interviews. Jesse has been pretty much everywhere in the past couple of days, but it's all the same stuff. And so we're just going to kind of work that into our discussions of the episodes. The two bits we do have, though, are kind of fun. So the first bit, we are going to touch on Jesse's Build Series interview. Which, God, the, I, I love the Build series. It's the best. I love, I can never remember his name, but whoever does the interviewer, and he's always the one who does the One Chicago ones, he's so good. So good. I know. I was, like, I was watching the Jesse one, and it was just so conversational. And, like, they started getting into little bits about his career. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's totally a question I would ask. That's so interesting. Yeah. No, he's just, yeah, whoever that interviewer is, I always mean to look him up, but he's so good. So the two biggest notable moments from this interview for me were, A, when he said that Jay is an ass kicker and he's just a teddy bear who needs a hug. (laughs) I believe it. I mean, you know, line forms to the left. (laughs) Actually, though. The other thing that we put up on here that we thought was worth discussing was that Jesse said that he thinks Jay listens to heavy metal music. Jesse, you can't give us tidbits like this. You know we're going to run with them and have a field day. I literally texted you as soon as I heard that, and I was like, we have to discuss this. I don't care. So I could definitely see Haley being a metal person, too, and, like, that's what they listen to in the car. I see. I, maybe I just don't listen to a ton of heavy metal, but, like, I can't picture it. Pop punk, maybe, sure, but not, like, heavy metal. I mean, there's no way Jay is, like, up on the music scene. Jay, I don't think he really goes to concerts or anything. I think he just, like, has music on in the background. I feel like I could also see Jay being, like, an oldies person, though, right? Like, a set, you know, like, the oldie station on the radio. Like a Dean Winchester classic rock kind of guy? 
A what? Classic rock. Like on Supernatural, Dean oh, always listens to classic sister. rock. It took me a second to yeah. hear what you said. But yeah, yes, classic rock for sure. I feel like I could see Jay being like that too. But I also have like follow-up questions. I want to be like, you know, Jesse, what, like, what, elaborate. Like what kind of heavy metal is he listening to? Right. Like give us your playlist, please. I can see it though. I mean, you know, however many, however many years he spent in the army, like, you know, all dudes, presumably it was probably either that or like country music. Jay does not listen to country music. Uh-uh. Jay does. I, I refuse to believe that Jay listens to country music. No, Jay, there's no way Jay listens to country music. I think Atwater might. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Atwater may for sure. I could see Ruzik and Atwater in the car and like Atwater putting on country and Ruzik being like, what the hell is this? And then Kevin being like, don't tell anyone. Yeah. Kevin's definitely the closest, I think, to anyone <laughs> listening to country music, at least in intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. But. Okay. Yeah. I just, ugh, I like, I've been trying to wrap my head around it. I was like, I'm like, I can't picture it, but. Jesse says it, then Jesse knows better than anyone. So oh, Jay and Haley definitely listen to heavy metal in the car. Definitely. So like I said, I feel like more the pop punk thing, but maybe it's because I don't listen to heavy metal. So <laughs> I don't either. I mean, literally I listen to everything but heavy metal and country. Yeah. Yeah. So. Anyway. The other bit of news we have, it's not really news, but we, we've gotten a lot of emails from you guys in the past couple of days, which thank you. We love it. We love talking to you guys. It's so much fun. But um, we got a fan theory that popped up from Lucas. And this was another one that was like, oh, my God, look at this tidbit. We need to discuss this. So Lucas sent an email and said, in season one, Platt went on a date with Adam. And at the end of the date, she said, I did half the guys in my class at the academy. We then learned in a later season that she and Hank were in the academy together. Do you think that Hank and Trudy at one point hooked up when they were younger? Bryna, your opinion, go. No. Elaborate. I mean, we were kind of talking about it. I I agree with your take that sever, they're like a Severide and Shay. Like BFFs to the core, but like, no. I agree. I I think they were Severide and Shay before Severide and Shay were Severide and Shay. They were just best friends and like total bro TP. And so I imagine that Hank was the guy who was talking to Trudy and being like, you're going out with him this weekend? Okay, whatever. Like, he was the one who was probably like, oh, yeah, that guy's crazy. That guy's cool. Whatever. He was the wingman. Also, now I'm thinking about it. We don't know this, but I also feel like Hank and Camille could have been high school sweethearts. So, like, he could have been, like, together. With, Hank and like, he could have already had them. You oh, know what I'm saying? Like, like I feel like that makes sense. They, oh, they absolutely were high school sweethearts. I need somebody to write that prequel fan fiction. So, like, I feel like it's already, like, a moot point. Yeah. Oh, now I'm they- in my feels. What? I have, okay, they were the Dossie to Trudy's Severide. Oh. Oh. I'm just, I can like, see it though. Yeah. Mm. Okay, no, I, I'm in, this was a good warm up because now I'm in my feelings. Oh. <laughs> I need that. But like she said, I'm, 
literally though because she slept with half the guys in her academy class and Severide slept with half of Chicago. Oh God, so yes. <laughs> plots the OG Severide. That comparison works. Amazing. Thank you, and you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Lucas, because, yeah. Um, so now we, we already have Chicago Fire, the next generation, but now we've already got the prequel. So, you know. Right. We're ready to write. We're ready to go. We're ready. We are ready to go. We've got, yeah, past, present, and future. <laughs> <laughs> So as always, guys, um, if you see any news, just send it to us. You guys know the drill. We didn't really have a lot of news this week, as we were saying, because, you know, it's just been midseason finale stuff. And frankly, these two little bits, I think we kind of needed the laugh before we jump in and cry, right? Yeah, there's a lot to talk about. Oh, God, I know. I know. Okay. So let's start with Med. We're going to kind of like wade into the pool, right? We're going to kind of gradually get there. So we're going to start off with April and Ethan. So we find out, first thing in the episode, April has early onset menopause. And the killer here is just basically where she says, Ethan wants a baby and I can't give him one. Do you see the pattern emerging here? (laughs) After one second? No, no. It's just that, you know, Gabby, Gabby miscarried and then, oh, wait, there's damage. She can't get pregnant again. And then... April, you know, Uh, yeah, April had a pregnancy that didn't work out. And now it's like, oh, wait, you know, she may not be able to conceive. Uh, Huh? Do we do we know how to write about fertility? Yeah, I. Yeah, but I. I'll save it for a second. We'll keep going. We'll keep going. Okay. So back at Ethan's apartment or their apartment, I don't think we ever got official word on whether whether they moved in together, but whatever. It's definitely Ethan's apartment, right? Like it it was at least first Ethan's apartment? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, Ethan's shipping out for the hiatus. He's being deployed for approximately six weeks, which is exactly how long the hiatus is. Okay. Yeah, that. (laughs) <laughs> that came out of nowhere. I know. And I, it took me, and my brain had to work for it for a second. I was like, what is he doing? And I was like, oh, wait, he's military. He's Navy. He's Navy Reserve. Okay, got it. Um, it's easy but to like forget they, that. I, I feel like they've never mentioned that he's Navy Reserves before. I think it was like so fleeting, maybe in like season one. It was one of those like quick blink and you miss it things. Jay can't ship out randomly, can he? Not that I know of. No, he's not. No, he's not army anymore. Okay, that's what I'm just saying. I just need to make sure he's on army reserves. Oh, we got to make sure that he survives first, but we'll get into that. <sighs> okay. <laughs> but anyway, but I'm anyway. just saying, yeah, it was, it was random. Yeah, and so Ethan has an expectant father book, and any time that he has something about, like, pregnancy or, like, upcoming fatherhood or whatever, April just freaks out. And so April's kind of pissed, but would she be as pissed if she hadn't received the news she had just received? No. Well, mm, mm. I feel like that's almost jinxing it in a way. Like, you're not, he's not like, like, she's not pregnant yet. So like, why are you carrying around an expectant father book? But still, I feel like she was pissed for no real reason. Well, I think, I mean, she was lashing out at him when really all she had to do was tell him what she learned. 
Right. And I think she was taking her anger out on the situation and like, you know, her situation out on him. Mm -hmm. But still, she shouldn't have done that. No, no. I just feel like she made things a lot more difficult for herself than they needed to be. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. So April and Marcel are working together. And then Ethan's kind of doing his own thing. But basically, April and Marcel's new patient needs a kidney. But Ethan's patient needs a kidney too. And so they basically propose what's called a domino transplant. And this is one of those things that I do not understand. I'm just like, wait, there's a detail that got lost in there. I don't know how this works. I'm just going to take everyone's word for it. Wait, what do you not understand? That it was, so one, okay, one kidney was going to one family and then another one was going to another family. Was it just like a triangle or? No, it's a square. So basically, okay. So basically, April Marcel's patient needed the kidney and so did Ethan's patient. April Marcel's patient's brother had already tried to see if he could give his brother's kidney, but they weren't a match. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, but he was a match for Ethan's patient. Okay. But the only way they could donate or that donation could happen is if then one of Ethan's patient's parents was a match for that one. So they could do like a, almost like a bow, like a bow. Does that make sense? It's like two triangles, like. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, Brian is trying to make like finger puppets in the camera to demonstrate. Um, But yeah, yeah, I get it. Stop that. I got to take a picture of this. (laughs) Yeah, something like this. Got it. Got it. Okay. Okay. So yeah, it's like a, it's like a crisscrossing kind of bow. Okay. It's complicated is the gist of it. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, I, yeah, it's, I mean, basically it's like each family had something that the other one wanted and in order for it to happen they had to give to each other so it's not a domino it's just a crisscross well no it's a domino in the fact that like one's not going to happen unless the other happens so like the dominoes have to fall kind of thing i feel like dominoes may not the right word but it's domino in that like in order for one kidney transplant to happen the other one has to happen simultaneously so the dominoes have to got it Okay, so it turns out that Ethan's patient's mom is a match. And so they're both getting kidneys. Awesome. But it's also like way too early in the hour for this to go on smoothly. So (laughs) Ethan and April, of course, get into a fight because like it's a day that ends in Y. And he pulls her aside and he basically just tells her that, you know, he wants to make sure everything's good on his end in terms of getting pregnant. So he's just like full steam ahead. He's like, I'm going to go see a urologist, this, that, the other. April's like, calm down hold on, wait a second. But she won't tell him what's up. And so the part that makes his face palm here is when she looks at him and she's like, I'm not even sure I still want a baby. April, like, way to pull the pin on the grenade and just, like, chuck it and run. Right. And it's like, are you sure you still don't want a baby? Or are you just using that as, like, an excuse because you don't want to tell Ethan what's really up? Oh, it's totally an excuse. She doesn't want to tell Ethan what's up. (sighs) Yep. I just... I know. Which really just makes things a million more times difficult. I mean, telling him you're not even sure that you still want a baby is going to hurt him far more than telling him that she's in early onset menopause. Right. Because one is the truth and one is not. Right. And, like, the thing is, too, is, like, wanting a baby, like, 
there are so many other ways to have a baby than like, I mean, I get that people want to have a baby, you know, like their own child. Mm -hmm. And that, that is really important to some people, but there are 10 million other ways to have a baby. Right. And so, you know, if you really still want a baby, but like you can't actually have the baby yourself, like you can still make it happen. Yes. Now, granted, I mean, those options are infinitely more expensive, but they are there. Right. Right. But yes, there are options if they want to explore them. Like Mm -hmm. it can still happen. It makes me sad for April that she is almost like, do you think she's afraid to tell Ethan or do you think she's ashamed to tell Ethan? Hmm. That's interesting. I feel like it's probably a little bit of both. That makes me sad for her that she worries about her future with him. Well, I don't even think it has necessarily anything to do with him, but I think it has a lot to do with the past and, you know, her miscarriage and the Tate stuff. Like, I feel like that all plays into part into it. I just hope she doesn't think that her ability to have a child determines her worth. Well, I feel like she kind of felt like that with Tate. Yeah. Maybe to some extent. And so I feel like I don't, I don't think she thinks, I think deep down she knows that Ethan doesn't feel that way with her, mm-hmm. but I think, you know, he's obviously talking a lot more about it now. And so maybe she worries a little bit about it Yeah, maybe because of yeah. stuff with Tate. In the past. Maybe he's kind of scaring her. Yeah, I see it. I see it. Yeah. So Marcel's patient basically dies on the table pretty much before he gets the kidney. And so it happens pretty much just Marcel's literally like taking the kidney out of the mom and he gets word that the receiving patient died. So now the husband wants the kidney reimplanted. I'm sorry, you can do that? I I didn't think you could do that. I mean, it's not as simple as just like unplug it and plug it back in. Apparently, yeah. I, okay, I, but I, I don't know. Just another I meant to do research, med. But oh, yeah, yeah. So there is no precedent for who owns the kidney, which I mean, I would really hope that there's not. So lawyer guy, oh God, why don't we still know his name? Arthur? I don't know. <laughs> he basically has to consult with ethics. Um, side note here: there's an ethics. Like, LOL. What? LOL. I. LOL. Yeah, if there's an ethics committee at Chicago Med and they're like in-house, somebody needs to give them like the biggest raise of their life. Or fire them all because they're not doing their jobs. But do you think the crazy shit that goes down in that hospital even gets to ethics? But that's what I'm saying. Like if it doesn't get to ethics, then like I feel like their job is then to have the pull their pulse on everything going on in the hospital and you know to like be there. But like but there's so many not. there's so many ethics violations that they can't keep up with them all. <laughs> yeah, so I feel like they even need a raise or they all need to be fired. Hmm. <laughs> That's a good question. I need to meet these people and be like, what are you doing? What tell me your job description. Do you even know your job description? Right. Did you go to school? Like <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. And so ethics determines that since the kidney was removed from the body, the hospital is now the caretaker. And ethics thinks that it should go to Marcel's patient. So ethics apparently knows how to do their job in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, and they got that answer pretty to Goodwin or whoever pretty fast. I'm now, impressed. let's just make sure that the next time Natalie locks herself in the room with a patient or administers medication, 
without a patient's consent or Will ignores a DNR or Will treats FBI guy that, you know, we're maybe doling out the proper punishments. Even just talking about Natalie locking herself in that room, like, just gets my blood pressure boiling. I, like, can't (laughs) handle it. We gotta stop talking about it. Oh, man. Yeah, and so... Ethan is pissed about this result because obviously Ethan was advocating for his patient. Uh, But he's more pissed because April's been taking swipes at him all day, which like he's not even slowing down to be like, what's wrong? He's just like swiping right back, swiping right back. Yeah. Well, like in his eyes, he's I I understand where he's coming from, though, because like if they've been gung ho about this baby, which they have, and all of a sudden she's like kind of shutting down and saying like, oh, I don't think I want it. Well, then like if she and if she's not talking to him about it, like I would be kind of pissed, too, if I was him. Yeah, but I wouldn't resort to just being snippy right back. Yeah, but it's Ethan. (laughs) It is Ethan. I mean, not that that's any uh, like like any not that I'm excusing, but like, yeah, I just it's Ethan. Yeah. So Ethan is like the master of the low blow, right? So, you know, he's basically telling April, he's like, you know, you've been taking swipes at me all all day. But then he turns around and just says, I don't know what's going on between us, but maybe it's a good thing I'm going away. Asshole. (laughs) Yeah, that was, yeah. Like Ethan just comes out with these things sometimes that I'm like, whoa, whoa. That's harsh. The thing, though, that made it, I thought, was his, like, more asshole statement, though. He was, like, basically, I'm going to leave for deployment straight after, like, straight from the hospital, and you have six weeks to figure it out what you want. And I was like, dude, sit, calm down. That's only going to drive her away further because, I mean, obviously she feels pressured. She even told you so. Yeah. Just, dude, no. And do you know how rare it is for a doctor in this hospital to clearly communicate their needs? Never. Yeah. So maybe Ethan thought she was bluffing. (laughs) God. So Marcel delivers the good news to April. The patient got the kidney. They hug. They hug. They hug. And then they (laughs) kiss. What? (laughs) Yeah, that I was like, what the heck? April, girl. Yeah, just all you had to do was tell the truth, but instead you lashed out at April. Instead, you lashed out at Ethan and then kind of cheated on him. Right. This is something. Okay, so this is kind of where I and Laurel's DM to us made me is kind of what triggered this thought in my brain because she was saying something about how, like, she just kind of, you know, wish they would focus on the like in the fertility stuff. And I kind of agree. Like, I feel like they could have, if they wanted Chexton sex toy to have issues, like I feel like they could have focused on that and really dived into the infertility stuff without having to throw Marcel in and make it like a love triangle thing. Like, I feel like they could have made them have issues. Cause like, I understand, you know, like a lot of couples do have fights and things over infertility like I you know like that is like a real couple issue yeah and I feel like they could have done that with sex toy without having to be like oh yeah we're gonna have a love triangle and blah 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 blah. you know like I just I'm not here for this love triangle stuff they're almost like stellar ride and that they're beyond all that bullshit like they know that they're together so any sort of struggle between them it's gonna be internal it's not gonna be where they need an external force they're established well 
we already technically had the love triangle stuff with them. Like we had the Vicky stuff again, you yeah. know, like we've, they've broken up, you know, they've gotten together, they've broken up. Like we've had, we've done all of that. Like I'm ready to the point with them where, like you said, I want all their issues. Cause I know not every couple's going to be perfect. I want all of their issues now to be internal, like get back together. Like they're together now, mm-hmm. like have their stuff be real internal stuff. And I feel like they missed the opportunity to do that with the infertility stuff. I mean, they're kind of doing it, but then they're also throwing the Marcel stuff in. So I feel like it almost just kind of like negates that. Which if does that make sense? Yeah, it does. If she's feeling something towards Marcel, then maybe that is the truth that she's not ready for a baby. She like, maybe she's not sure. Right. But there's definitely something else more behind the April stuff. Like, if she doesn't want a baby, that's one thing. But, like, she also still can't then lie to Ethan about the early onset menopause. Right. Like, there are all so many different issues, and they're separate. Mm-hmm. Like, if she doesn't want a baby because she thinks she, you know, isn't sure about her future with Ethan and Marcel stuff, okay, that's one thing. The infertility is another. Like, it's just all separate stuff. Right. So... Marcel just basically asks and he says, he's like, are you sure you want to do this? There's no answer from April. And so it's kind of left up in the air. Yeah. Uh, Wow. That took a turn. Yeah. Yeah. Although I thought Laurel brought up an interesting thing in her message to us. She was like, I hope that they didn't sleep to end up sleeping together. And then she turns up pregnant. Like that would really be the like, Uh, yeah that would be that would be the the original Blair situation just moved over to med yeah oh my goodness I mean but I I I mean we'll talk I feel like that's gonna be more of like the fire situation well I don't think it'll be but like it could potentially be the Dossie situation but oh my god there's anyway we gotta open later yeah, but I don't think it'll happen, but gosh, if that happened, who oh man. I know. I know. Oh, man. If April ended up pregnant with Marcel's baby instead of Ethan's, yikes. Wow. <laughs> so, <Dang. laughs> elsewhere in the hospital, we've got the Mansteads, and you know it was a crazy night when the Mansteads are not even, like, the craziest, most dramatic thing happening in the hospital. They were pretty tame for all intense purpose, intents and purposes. Yeah, for real. So, like tame. Tame. Very, yeah, it was just, it was a very, like, chill episode for them. So Sophie is brought in for surgery, but Philip abandoned her. <sighs> yeah, what? now my blood's going to start boiling again. I mean, he is a full-fledged psychopath. Yeah, and of course he lied to Natalie too about the fact that he has family. He didn't. Ha- he said he's like, oh yeah, I don't have family in Chicago. That's bullshit. Yeah. So he just up and left the baby with her aunt and uncle. And I think at one point, you know, she's like, Philip doesn't have any family, and the uncle just goes, yeah, he's a pathological liar, which is basically mm-hmm. what we've been trying to communicate to Natalie ever since the season started. Oh, even before that, but yeah, yeah. So. While this is happening, Natalie's memories of the accident are slowly coming back. And so, like, she'll walk into certain parts of the hospital and be like, okay, wait, there was an FBI agent standing there. Will was standing here. And, like, she's just slowly starting to piece things together. So, meanwhile, Will's patient, Jordy, comes in after a car crash. And, I mean, Will is just, it's smooth sailing. He is cool, calm, collected. He's happy. It's the best. 
Yeah, he's really on his game. He really is. And it's just like, he's like, it's just so good to see him take charge and he's confident about it. And it's just like, I wish we'd had this will earlier to like season five. I know. And I want to like bottle it up and like protect him at all costs so that like nothing else bad can happen. Like we can just keep this version of Will forever. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like trap him like Tinkerbell. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And so Will thinks he's, you know, it's probably just whiplash. You know, he wants to head in next CT to confirm. And, but again, this is so nice because usually most episodes he'll be like, okay, I think it's this, let's do that. And he's dead wrong. But now he's just like, no, I'm like, it's this, we're going to move this way. He's just very assertive and like confident and just, I love it. I love every moment of it. Yep. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So the CT comes back normal, but his hands are all tingly. So Will wants to run an MRI. No big deal. And Will is so good with this patient too. Like, where has Mm -hmm. this Will been all my life? It's fantastic. Yeah. So with Sophie, everything looks good, except it turns out that Philip signed a DNR. On a baby? I didn't even think you, I mean, I guess that makes sense, but I don't think you could even do that. Well, I mean, I, maybe this is me just guessing, because again, I have absolutely no medical background, but that won't keep me from speculating like I do. Um, but I, I would, I guess if maybe like if, if the baby's born with like a lot of health problems and it's like dire straits, then like maybe that would be a circumstance. But in general, what? Yeah, I fucking Philip. DNR on a baby? Like, are you that unhinged? Uh, yes, he is. Oh, my goodness. So Sophie's surgeon, hey, Dr. Frisch, remember that time she made out with Will? Yeah, she's back. Um, she won't perform the surgery. Wait, what? Yeah. Yep, that was oh Dr. Frisch. Shut the fuck up. Yep, remember her? Dang. Mm-hmm. Okay, continue. She's back. (laughs) So she won't perform the surgery because she's not comfortable. But, like, Latham just emerges out of the shadows. And, like, he's, like, summoned, like, the the ghost of Connor's past and is, like, all right, I'll do it. Like, he just, like, channels the god complex. Like, the energy just, like, rises in him like a video game. And he's just, like, I'll do it. (laughs) But it's just, like, at the same time, it's one of those moments where, like, you're, like, yes, you go, Latham. You got this. You Go. Yeah, exactly. He even okay. says at one point, he's like, Connor would do this, so I'll do what he would do. I was like, yeah, oh, get it. I, I love happy. it. It was good to see Dr. Latham, too. Yeah, I love that he's, like, still around. I really thought he was going to go MIA forever after Connor left, but. I know. And yeah. the, the code definitely did get canceled, right? So, I mean, he could come back. Uh, did it get canceled? Now I'm Googling. No, it, I, I'm pretty Hold sure on. it got canceled. But Dr. Abrams comes in for Will's patient. And like, listen, I mean, we love Dr. Abrams, but it's also never a good thing when he shows up. Nope. Never. And yeah, it did get canceled. Okay. So Will's patient has something called atlantoaxial instability. I think I said that right. I hope I said that right. It's a special condition with his spine, right? Yeah, something, which I still don't really understand, but yeah, something. Okay, so basically it can be fixed with surgery or not, but uh, if they go the non-surgical route, then it'll have to be fixed later on. And plus with this condition, he won't be able to continue playing in the Special Olympics. 
And so, you know, Jordy wants the surgery and, you know, the more he bonds with Will and, you know, the more he talks to his dad, they decide, okay, well, yeah, we'll go with the surgery. We'll go that route. And so this is just so pure and simple. Like Jordy just tells Will, he's like, you've got to see the videos. I can fly. And then cut to Will watching videos on an iPad smiling. Oh my God. I like wanted to cry. He was, he, he just, Jordy kept saying, he's like, you know, I can fly. I can fly. I, you know, I'm free. I'm free. And I was just like, oh my God. I know. Like wipe all the tears. It's like Med is like happening and then like Will and Jordy are in like an alternate universe in their little sliver of Med where everything is happy. And then yeah, like everything it, crazy is going on outside the bubble. Yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah. Oh my gosh. So Latham finishes Sophie's surgery because like, of course, uh, and you know, it seems like it was a success. And so after Nat goes to see her when she's recovering, all the memories come back. And this was interesting because um, Dr. Puri or Puri, however you say his last name, I'm so sorry I butchered it. But um, one of the writers on Med, he had tweeted that, you know, memories from a TBI, they can typically either be like erased forever or they can come back months later. That's so crazy. Yeah, it's wild. Human brain, man. That's nuts. So Natalie gets her memories back and I mean, I felt kind of bad for her because like it flooded her and she goes, oh my God, she's like, I've been so unfair to Will, which like, you know, but you can't blame her. I mean, it is what it is. Well, here's the thing. Can you blame her though? Because it's not like she wasn't acting like herself. She just doesn't remember, but she was still Natalie that whole time. That's true. Like she was still Natalie and she knew she was Natalie, you know, whatever. Like nothing about Natalie in the present was off. She just literally couldn't remember the stuff like that. She, you know, she just lost her memory from those like whatever that period. So, I mean, if she had remembered that she was going to tell Will that she loved him, would she have told him to get out of her life? Wait, say that again? If she had gone and told Will she loved him back then. No, yeah, if she had remembered that she was going to tell Will that she loved him, would she still have told him to get out of her life? No, because she loved him. Hmm. She was indeed still Natalie, but she just didn't remember. But still, the ability, like, I mean... For her to be able to flip that switch and just go from, like, even if she doesn't remember that she loved him, to waking up and being like, I don't really like him. Wait, what? I mean, for her to be able to kind of flip that switch and, like, you know, it's she loved him before the accident. Obviously, the accident happened. She didn't remember that she loved him. But it's like the minute that she woke up, she just kind of hated him. I'm forgetting something here. What, What was the initial, the very, very first thing that, like, pissed her off about Will after the accident? Well, nothing pissed her off. She just was, I think, well, she was pissed that, like, he kept saying, like, what were you going to tell me? What were you going to tell me? What were you going to tell me? And Mm -hmm. she was like, I don't know. And then, and then Will finds out about the engagement and, you know, that whole thing. Yikes. Yeah. She's only, yeah, so, I mean, when she says I've been so unfair, it's not that she was, like, intending to be unfair to him. It's just that she didn't remember, like you were saying. Yeah. Yeah. So, Jordy's surgery was a success, um, and Abrams even asked Jordy's dad to let him know when he competes next. Like, I'm sorry, was that a nice comment out of Dr. Abrams? Who knew who Abrams had a heart? I know, right? Right? I was shocked. Yeah. 
And so Will is up on the roof rewatching Jordy's videos, you know, gorgeous sweeping view of Chicago behind him. And Natalie comes up and this is like probably the final like two minutes. Okay. So Nat comes up and Nat is just like, I'm sorry. I love you. He, she just like pours her heart out and Will responds with like the most savage burn in one Chicago history. It was bad. It was really bad. Like, wow. Um, so he first says that, you know, he's like, we're bad for each other. All we do is fight, which he's not wrong about. Um, no. But then he goes on and he's like, you know, since I've been without you, you told me to get out of your life. I'm free. I was like, oh, oh, Will. Yikes. Yeah. He, there was a time I couldn't imagine the future. Though. Yeah, it was bad. It was, I mean, it, it was a very, very savage burn, but it was also a truth bomb. Yeah, he's not wrong. He's not. That's a terrible He's not wrong. And I think that's, like, kind of where I feel conflicted as a Manstead shipper. Because I do like the idea of Natalie and Will together. I mean, you know, like, the OG med couple. Like, there is something nice about them. And when they're good, they can be really good. But, like, 95% of the time, they're just so bad. And it's just, they're bad for each other. And I, like, feel bad shipping them. I I feel like this was a big moment of clarity for the Manstead shippers delivered by Will because I mean obviously my first reaction was like oh no Will what are you doing and then the more he went on I was like that's true that's true too okay wait that's kind of true also damn Will you're making sense but like where do they go from here because how can Will say that and then them still end up together I mean I think they're gonna I mean, I could definitely see them going into a Berzik break of, like, multiple seasons, but that's probably not right. Right. Like, I just, I feel like, how does one say, I, you know, I can't, I used to not be able to see a future without you, and now I can, and I feel free. So and, like, mean. Then them get, and then have them get back together. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. So where do they go from there? And then now do we see... In the back half, do we see Natalie give Will space or I? Hmm. Right. And does Will still together with Juliet? Like, is that a thing that's going to become more like prominent? Like, I don't know. Wow. I was not where I thought we were going with this. They really do need to spend time apart, though. Like, big time. Like, both of them on opposite oh, yeah. corners of the hospital. Yeah. No, I definitely agree. I just, I didn't expect that. I thought truly as soon as Natalie got her memories back they were going to be together and this is like the complete 180 of that but the, it kills me that Will is not wrong yeah he is not wrong these past two episodes Will has been like hit the best Will he, yeah let's keep it going oh my goodness so Tori did an interview this week with TV Line. Again, she did multiple interviews, but, uh, you know, this one with TV Line kind of jumped out a little bit. And so in this article, she suggested that maybe it's time for Natalie to date women. It's freaking genius. I, I don't know. I don't feel like that would go over well. Well, I mean. With fandom, at least. I, I think it'd be fine. I have no issue with it. But, like, I just feel like the man said shippers. I know, but also, like, like, I I mean, not that I like the idea of her generalizing that, like, all the men in her life have heard her, 
but that would be pretty genius. Yeah. No, it would. Let her experiment. So what? Yeah. Yeah. I'd be cool with it. I don't know. I mean, she, I mean, she, she has been burned a bunch of times before, but I mean, I, again, I don't want to generalize that and be like, all oh, the men in her life suck, but I don't know. I mean, man, that will, will probably hurt her good with this one though. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Not pretty. So big old question mark, big old WTF about like, where are we going with Manstead? Yikes. Mm-hmm. So Maggie and Ben are still going strong, stronger towards the end. But Ben is sick. His white count's really low. Maggie's by his side. She won't leave. Uh, you know, at one point, Ben's just like, you're the closest thing I've got to family. It's just, you know, it's just a giant thing of feels. All of it. All is the feels. Um, and yeah. so Ben starts talking like last arrangements with Maggie because he never made final arrangements for what happens when he dies. And, you know, all he wanted was for his ashes to be with his parents in a cemetery in Florida. It just progresses throughout the whole episode and just gets worse and worse. And so, you know, they basically have to intubate him. Lanik doesn't think he's going to last much longer. But magically, he starts to improve. And they remove his tube and he's good. I really thought Ben was going to die this episode. I did too. But I'm really glad he didn't. Same. Because Maggie deserves it. She deserves all the happiness in the world. So Chicago Med may not be the safest hospital in the world, but they can miraculously cure measles? Apparently. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, hopefully Maggie and Ben, there's more to come in the back half because they're cute together. So, yeah. Okay. So the heaviest, hardest part of the episode comes with Dr. Charles and Cece and I already feel emotional just like talking about it so we're gonna we're just gonna kind of I know it's I know this is bad um they Dr. Charles and Cece are the reasons I cried twice during this episode yeah I yeah so Cece's really sick like she's she's taken a turn for the worse like big time And Dr. Charles is just trying to be really calm and he's just sitting with her and, you know, he's just like, yeah, I'm taking the day off. Like, it's okay. We're just going to chill. And she just is like, Daniel, I want you to remarry, which like, fuck, fuck. Um, And he's like, no, I'm not listening to that. But then he goes in the kitchen and he breaks down. And this is like two minutes into the episode. Yeah. Two minutes. So Dr. Charles, midway through the episode, she, he shows up in Goodwin's office and he just mentions, he's like, I'm taking Cece to Mackinac Island and we are going to have a Bon Voyage party later that night. And Goodwin puts two and two together about the Bon Voyage party and she just starts to cry. And, you know, Dr. Charles just kind of like tries to console her and he's like, no, none of that. Like, don't stop it. It's fine. So we get to the Bon Voyage party and... You know, they're trying to keep it up tempo. There's Hawaiian drinks. They're like theming it a certain way. And so not only do we see Cece, but we see Mama Charles. Dr. Charles's mom is there. And we also see Robin. And so, and I was wondering if we were going to see Robin, if she was going to make it there. I was going to be really upset if, you know, we weren't going to see her at all. And so Robin pulls 
him aside. And she just says, she's like, I want to go with you to Mackinac Island. Like I want to go. And he's just like, you know, it's going to be the two of us. Like your mom wants you to remember her like happy and healthy and, you know, beautiful and, you know, it's okay. But she breaks down and she's just like, I'm never going to see her again. Um, and I was done. I lost it. Yeah. Point. And so they, they hug and that's essentially that, but I, was that our goodbye to Cece? I don't know. I think so. But, but on the one hand, if that is our goodbye to Cece, kind of like what Cece was telling to Dr. Charles, like she wanted for Robin, like I'm kind of glad that that is the way that we're going to remember, you know, like we're not going to actually see her hopefully like die. Like, you know, like I'm okay if that's, if, you know, this is our last memory of her. That breaks my heart. Yeah. And, like, for it to happen so quickly, like, she was doing well, and then just like that in two episodes. Yeah. God. And, like, Mama Charles had finally reconciled, and... Yeah. When they finally got back together, it was just, yeah. That hurts. It sucks. It hurts. Yeah. Yeah. Any other notes about Med? No, but it was a solid finale. It was a solid finale. You know, definitely start... You what? Fall finale, but yeah. Yeah, and uh, I mean, okay, we got to talk about fall finales, like the concept of them. I I feel like fall finales are becoming like, you know, like ugly Christmas sweater parties or like promposals. Like they started off innocent and now they're like turning into a bigger and bigger thing. And like, it it needs to calm down. What was so funny too, Emily Longaretta was talking about on her podcast with Jesse very briefly, but she mentioned it. She was like, when did fall, like, when did it become like fall finales? Like, when did people stop calling them like mid-season finales? I don't know. It it almost sounds to me like fall is like a more PC word, but like, what's wrong with mid-season? No, I just feel like fall finale, like if you say fall finale, it makes it seem a little more final and a little like bigger impact, at least to me. Whereas mid-season's like, eh, that's mid-season. They're coming back next, in, you know, 2020. Like, who cares? It's getting out of hand is what I feel. Um, yeah, because I feel like now the networks are going to try and go bigger and bigger and just like destroy us and, you know. I don't know. I saw a really great tweet about, you know, maybe like five, six minutes into the episode and somebody had said, they were like, Chicago Med, can you calm down? It's been eight minutes. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, I feel that on a spiritual level. Right. Like we have to go three hours, not even just an hour, like three hours. Yeah. I mean, I felt last night and I mean, granted, I mean, we were texting and so I was kind of just like barfing up all my feels because, oh my God. Uh, But like the mid-season finales, like they were not fun. They were stressful. Again, I didn't feel it because of when I watched it and I already kind of knew everything that happened. But, yeah, I can imagine it. Oh, they were not fun. They were stressful. So, okay. Let's talk about fire. Which, fire might have been the most tame hour of the three. I think that was tame? It wasn't bad. Well, it wasn't bad, I guess. There was, I, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Okay, so we start this episode. Casey is basically giving truck orders. He notices a woman staring at the Otis Memorial. He does not even need to see her face to know that it is Gabby. Yeah. Like, that makes me emotional, too. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, her first stop, of course, was 51. He recognized her instantly. And I mean, just from their initial reaction or their initial interaction, even just the way they say each other's names, like that connection never left. It's still there. Yeah. I'm getting feelsy, like just talking about it. So like, we'll see how we do here. But yeah, the connection's always going to be there. And she even gives us an Antonio update, which like, thank you, Fire, for doing what PD won't. Well, it was so funny, too, because Derek was talking about in an interview, shit, I think it was his EW interview. Mm -hmm. I don't know. There's so many articles and things. I don't remember which one. But he, like, was mentioning, he's like, yeah, like, we went over to, he's like, I went over to Rick Eyed, and we were talking about the fact that, like, Gabby was coming back. And it was like, hey, Rick, like, I feel like, you know, we should throw in Antonio here. And Rick's like, yeah, that's a great idea. (laughs) It was just like, yeah, okay. So he's doing crisis response in the Bahamas, but at least he's okay. And he and Gabby are working together, and... This Gabby is, says he's doing well too, which is just God, like hearing it from Gabby. It was like, like, okay, I trust it. I believe it. I'm okay now. I love it. So, Gabby's only in town for 48 hours for a fundraising gala, and she invites Casey to come. And so, when Gabby explains, Gabby's like, yeah, there's still a lot of feelings wrapped up here. And then she invites him to the gala. Casey's like, I got to think about it because there's still a lot of feelings wrapped up here, which, okay. Yeah, Uh, I basically played both sides of the fence in this episode because on the one hand, I was absolute emotional trash for the fact that Dossie was back together because I was like, oh, my God, they've been like they're back together. There's so much between them. And like, oh, my God, they miss each other so much. On the other side, I'm like, all right, Casey, you play it careful. You do your thing. I mean, she's back. Be careful. Yeah, I feel like that's how I felt, too, is like on the one hand, it's like, yeah, like, it really is nice to see them together, and, you know, like, that connection is real, and, like, the love between them is still there, and it is still real, and if you could wrap them up in a fantasy world, they would be married forever. Ugh. But, right? Like, I mean, you know, because it's not, they didn't break up, they didn't get divorced because they don't love each other. They got divorced because, you know, a bunch of other real-life situations, <laughs> a bunch of other real-life shit. Yeah. And, you know, Gat, or Matt didn't want to leave Chicago and, you know, blah, 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 all that stuff. Not because they didn't love each other, though. But, you know, their divorce was messy. And a lot of things probably went left unsaid and, you know, all this stuff, blah, 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 blah. And so I wouldn't have blamed Casey either if Casey decided, you know what? I can't handle this. I don't want to go to this gala and I'm not going to go to this gala. Like I wouldn't have blamed Casey in that moment. No, I was glad to see that he was not burying his feelings and was taking his own feelings into consideration. Yeah. 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 So Casey tells Brett, he's not sure if it's a good idea for him to go. And you know, Brett just listens and she just says, she's like, I think you should go. I think you'll regret it if you don't see her. No big deal. That's it. This gala though. Oh my God. The season one vibes, though. Do you remember the episode I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Duh. Yeah. Iconic. Oh, my goodness. So he did show up. You know, he's in, he's in a suit. He looks so nice. Oh, my God. Like, the old school Dossie vibes. I die. Um, and, you know, they went to get a drink together, whatever. Okay. So, you know, again, as I was saying, I was absolute trash for the Dossie stuff, but also kind of, mm, you know, I'm kind of wishy-washy about this visit with Gabby because, I mean, and again... However you feel about Dossie or Casey and Brett, it's okay. It's okay. These are just our opinions. You might disagree. I'm different from us. It's all good. 
all good. But I wasn't really too happy to see her at this fundraising gala because it was just like Casey was just like eating into her hand and just falling prey for her all over again. He made the choice. I mean, I get it. And trust me, I have issues with this whole thing, too. And we'll talk about that. And I feel like when we finish this up. But, like, Casey also made the choice to. I think Brett's right. And I think he would have regretted if he hadn't gone. And but Casey made the choice. Like, he knew what he was getting himself into because he thought about it before. He didn't just say he didn't immediately accept her invitation. So he thought about it. He, you know, probably ran through all the scenarios in his head. And he knew what he was getting himself into. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's he's weak for her, though. Like, I mean, you know, he's not the one who burned her. It's the other way around. And so, I mean, of course, I think he was going to end up going to the gala because he loves her. Then, right, he does. But so then that kind of leads, you know, like obviously dancing together then ends up leading to some sexy time. And Gabby says, she's like, you know, is this a mistake? Like, I'm leaving in the morning. And Casey says, he's like, you know, I know, and I'm staying, which just, LOL, I'm a Chicago guy. I just thought that tie was, you know, Mm -hmm. interesting. And then he's like, you know, but that doesn't make this a mistake. Which, I agree, you know, like, I think it was important for him to, like, and I think for both of them, I think it was important, which it sounds so interesting to cut or funny kind of coming from me because I'm not as big a Dossie person. Like, I think this was an important thing for them to do. I think it was important for them to have their sexy time and like have, you know, whatever. I think it was important for them to realize because I think regardless of whether I want Matt to move on, which I do, you know, I think it's time for Casey to start, you know, he's divorced, like put that chapter a little bit behind. Mm -hmm. But I think there was so much left unsaid and I think they kind of needed to have the kind of put the final bow on it. Like, I think... I think they needed to do this. Do you think that put the final bow on it, though? Because I didn't get a closure vibe. I don't know. I don't know. I will say, though, okay, so them dancing with each other, you know, I was just like, uh, the very first time I watched it, I was just like, I can't believe Gabby. Like, oh, my God, this is so selfish for blah, blah, blah. And then the Dossie music comes on. I have never been the shake my fist at the TV and be like, damn it, Derek type. Oh, you bet your ass this time. I was like, damn it, Derek. Like, you, <laughs> right when I get out, you pull me back in. It's not fair. It was bad. Yeah. But yes, the Dossie music and then the sexy time. And just even when they were dancing, like, just the little details, it just, I die. Like, like I, I'm simultaneously yeah. trash for them and also, like, mad at how they ended up. Yeah. I think, like, fan Bryna is, like, mad about it because, like, I don't really see the po- – I don't know. Like, fan Bryna is, I think, different than, like, trying to take a step back Bryna and, like, really, like, analyze it. Right. Right. So, I mean, yeah, they, they definitely still love each other, but, you know, that's not – that doesn't – it doesn't, you know, absolve K- Gabby of, you know, leaving at the end of season six the way she did. It just doesn't. But – No, I- no, and I don't think, you know, yeah, I still think this was selfish. And I think, I mean, you know, even too, like her visit coming back was selfish too, because the girl, the fundraiser chair or whatever, mm-hmm. even mentions, she's like, oh yeah, I wanted to send her somewhere else, but like Gabby insisted it had to be Chicago first. You know, like she had to come back and see someone. She and wanted it's just to like, see Matt. Right. But it's also like too, on the other, other hand, it's like, 
you go however many months or at this point a year without really any words and like every you know just kind of expect everyone to be happy to see you again and there was no real I think it was more though I expected Casey to react the way Casey was going to react. Like that wasn't ever going to change. I don't, I didn't expect Casey to be angry with her when she showed up. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't expect that at all. I really wish we'd had more like Brett and Gabby stuff or even just like any of it. Brett seemed a little bothered. I'm not going to lie. And I feel like too, especially because, and regardless, this has nothing to do with Casey or Casey and Brett versus Casey and Dawson. Like, it has nothing to do with that. But in season seven, during, I think it was the crossover, you know, Brett talks to Casey and she's like, did she say anything? You know, Brett was really hurt by this. Yeah. And we're assuming, because Derek has told us, you know, they haven't talked at all. Like, at all. And so, you mean, we're not going to see Brett confront Gabby about it? Like, I don't know. Like, I just thought that was weird. Yeah, and when, when they come out of that room and Brett mentions, she's like, yeah, we just kind of, it was like it was like she never left. We just picked up right where we went off, like where we left off. Her tone was like, in that moment, her tone was kind of like as if to say, like, that was really weird. Like, we're just not going to talk about what happened. Right. So, yeah. yeah, I don't know. But the next morning, Casey thanks Brett for suggesting going to the gala and talking him into it. Like, yeah, you're going to thank her. She got you laid. Yeah, the point of the matter. So, I mean, wing woman of the year 2019, whatever. But I will say, if these two never admit their feelings for each other, like Brett and Casey, if they never, you know, if they never go beyond anything else, at least we can get a bro TP out of it. I'm totally cool with that. Yeah, well, Casey needs somebody now that Zebrite's gone for the foreseeable future. Goodness. He's crushing it at OFI, though. We'll get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, we will. So Casey gets a voicemail from Gabby at the end of the episode, and the only notable line from that is that she just says, there will always be room in my tent, Matt Casey. So, okay. Uh, I mean, okay. We're leaving the door open. I see that. But also, it goes back to what we were saying. She burned him. You don't get to go away for two years and then come back like nothing ever happened and then put him on your hook like that. See, this is where I feel like I would have felt better almost about Gabby coming back if we hadn't had this scene. Like, if they had had their moment, Casey, we see Casey leaving her hotel, and, like, that's it. Yeah. Like, I feel like I would have felt better about it, because I feel like almost in that regard, there would have been more closure, you know. We, fans realize, you know, the love is still there, the love is always going to be there, they just, you know, they can't, they're not meant to be together right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're divorced, whatever. But then you get this ambiguous ending, and it's like, I didn't need that to know that, like, the door was always going to be open. Yeah. Like, I just, I felt like I didn't need this scene. Right. And I get, like, I get why they needed this scene. Like, I, you know, it's, like, cliffhangery. You know, like, is Casey going to leave? You know, blah, 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 and go be with Gabby. No, no, he's not. At least not right now. Like, mm-hmm. he's not. But, like, I get, so I get why we had to have the plot device. But, like, I didn't need it. I And I thought the storyline would have been stronger almost without this scene. So what was your overall opinion on bringing Gabby back for this mid-season finale? I feel like I go back and forth. Like, I feel like I just kind of, through talking it out with you, kind of convinced myself that it was necessary and that I feel like it was necessary. But, like, watching it, and especially the first time I watched it, I was like, 
I don't see the point. So, like, I don't know. I feel like he keep going back and forth. Like, I feel like I go back between it's necessary. Because I do believe in some regards, like, they needed to have this happen. I feel like Casey needed to know that and, like, go through this and do all of this before he settles down and gets in another serious relationship. Regardless of whether that's with Brett or somebody random or somebody else. I don't know. But So I feel like he needed this moment just for himself in some weird way. Like, I feel like he needed that. But then, I also just feel like, too, like, why bring Gabby back if she's only going to stick around for one episode? I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this. I, I, I really don't. I keep going back and forth. Yeah. And, and I feel very similar to that because as much as I absolutely loved seeing Matt and Gabby stand side by side again, as much as I absolutely loved seeing them interact again, because again, I was complete trash for the Dossie moments, like just dying. I can't help but ask the question, what was the point? There was no closure. Was it just to kind of show us that Gabby's exit was more of a dot, dot, dot instead of like a hard stop? I don't know. And like I said, I mean, personally, I feel like we would have had more closure almost if they had, if if that last Dossie related scene had had been Casey walking out of the hotel room. And that's that. Like, I didn't really feel like we needed the voicemail scene. Right. Right. I mean, again, I'm not complaining, but yeah. Yeah, and I just, I know, and it's the thing, it's like, I know nobody ever wanted Monica to leave, and so anytime you can get her back, like, I get that, too, but, like, if they're divorced, and she hasn't really, she literally is not kept in touch with anyone, that part was clear, mm-hmm. like, she literally has not talked to anyone until she just showed up here, then, like, how can she, like, if they would said oh, yeah, like, Stella keeps in touch with her, or, you know, blah, 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 and, like, she's just gonna keep copying back in that regard. Okay, fine, sure, but, like, she's not keeping in touch with anyone, so what point does she have to keep showing up here, except to relive the past? Right, right. And so, to me, I feel like, I don't know, like, I get why people, like, Monica is great, and I do like, I mean, you know, I like the character Dawson, like, I do, you know, it was nice to have her back, but it's just, I don't know. She's gone, like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. She's gone. And plus, I mean, she left, she left damage in her wake. I mean, she, she hurt Brett. She hurt Casey. So for her to just waltz back in after two years and just be like, hello, it's odd. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I thought it was odd. I really did. Yeah. And so a lot of you guys had opinions on this. And I mean, we love this. We love when you guys are just like blow up our inboxes. It's really the best. Um, So we had one from McCall. She told us how to say her name and I can't remember how we say it. Do you remember? No, but I, yeah. Oh no. We're so sorry. Uh, We'll get it right next time. I promise. But She said, if writers knew that they were going to bring Gabby back for the finale, why show us Brett and Casey as a potential couple if they have Gabby and Casey together? I didn't really take anything as like potential couple things between them. They were just kind of bro-TP scenes. No, but I think she's talking about like the whole time. Like they're flirty, you Mm -hmm. know, whatever Casey and Brett have been. Like why have us kind of leave that maybe they're going to go there if you're just going to have like Casey get back hook up with Gabby for another night. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah. I don't know. I feel like 
I feel like obviously Derek didn't know until he made the call and kept like annoying Monica that, you know, Monica was actually going to come back. So, you know, they could have planned, you know, for all we know, it could have been Casey and Brett in this mid-season finale. And then Monica's like, yeah, sure, I'll come back. And Derek's like, scratch everything. We have to change everything. Um, yeah. We don't know that. Yeah. Um, but two, that's not saying they'll never get together. And, you know, Derek has said in his interviews, he's like, you know, we're kind of just going to play it out and see. And, you know, I don't think they really know yet either. Right. You know, like. And I'm not giving up hope. I mean, I mean, I personally, I think I would still really like for to see them try to get there. If it doesn't end up being forever, and if they just, you know, kind of play with it, and they realize, Casey and Brett realize, like it doesn't, it's not going to work. That's okay, and I will be okay. Uh, but you know, like I think it's just more of like a they're still trying to figure out if they really want to go there or not. Yeah, both character wise and writers are. Yeah, and if anything, this episode might have shown Sylvie that maybe she doesn't want to jump into something with Matt because it might be as simple as Gabby just blowing back through town for his attention to be diverted. Yeah. So, don't know. Um, our listener who goes under the name Geekazoid says, As nice as it was to see Dossie again, I'm disappointed that there was no Dawson and Brett or Dawson and Severide reunion. They're best friends. Also, there was still no closure at the end, and I hope they're not setting up for a future Dossie baby. I don't think they're setting up for a Dossie baby. No, especially if Monica's not going to come back, like, agree to come back full time, or, yeah, close to full time. That's not happening. I wasn't disappointed about no Dawson and Brett scene. I was disappointed that nobody even thought to mention it to Kelly, that, like, hey, Gabby's here. When I really thought to, so when Casey goes to see Severide at OFI, and then Severide, like, pulls Casey's side, I really thought Severide was going to be like, hey, Stella told me, you know, um, Dawson's back in town, like, how are you feeling? And then we got the Seeger stuff instead, and I was like, oh, that was such a missed opportunity. Yup. Yup. Hopefully somebody told I'm, Kelly. I feel like Stella did. Probably. But I still, I don't know, I'm still kind of salty about the Dawson and Brett stuff, but... Anyway, um, but yeah, I don't think they're going to go the Dossie baby route, although it would be interesting, but I feel like that's, I feel like they're saving a Dossie baby if they ever go there for when, like, Jesse Spencer is ready to leave. Monica's definitely coming back, and they are going to, like, ride off in the sunset together like they're a happy family. Like, I truly believe that. Which won't I'm happen saying, for another, like, million seasons. Right, yeah. Give me another 15 seasons. But, like, <laughs> I've, you know. Yeah. Yeah, Jesse Spencer will be about 63 years old, but that's okay. I'm cool with that. <laughs> yeah. It's fine. Yeah. So we also had Severide stuff, because Severide is still over in OFI, just, like, chilling, checking everybody's work, telling them what they did wrong. It's the best. It's just the best. Uh, Bryna, take us through Severide, please. Yeah. It is the best, although I'm, like, ready for him to go back now. Like, I've had two strong cases. You know, he showed his stuff. I'm ready for him to go back now. Yeah, I guess so. Um, I did laugh a little bit when Van Meter came in and was like, are you about to blow something up? And he was like, yeah. I was like, A, terrible pun. But B, I think Van Meter is bitter because, you know, he's been in OFI for how long? And Sev just trots in. And Sev is just naturally better at it. He's just not. He's a natural. I know, Severide should be really running no FI, but you know. But like also that's a not, because squad. Yeah. Right. Anyway, 
So yeah, so Severide's basically looking through these old case files, and he finds one that reminds him of the similar call he responded to years earlier. He thinks one guy set both fires, but the problem is that the guy from the first fire was already arrested and been convicted, you know, all that stuff. So they basically come to the conclusion that either it wasn't one arsonist or that they got the wrong guy all those years ago. So Severide and Seeger go to visit this guy, Dustin. And I forget his last name, but whatever. Um, and Dustin really has, like, no real answers for their questions. So either he's playing them or he's, like, actually innocent. Because the guy, like, they ask him, you know, like, oh, like, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. And so Severide believes it's the latter, that this guy's innocent. And he's like, you know, I'm going to check it out myself. Like, I, you know, I promise. And when Kelly, like, makes a promise, Kelly, like, sticks to his promises so because kelly is boyfriend of the year 2019 yeah and so severide like we said severide calls casey in for a consult consult and they're looking at these blueprints from basically the two strip malls and so both have been renovated and so they call kelly or casey in because you know casey and his contractor experience that nobody ever references really anymore um and Casey points out to them, basically, from the blueprints, he can tell that both renovations use the same contractor, which is interesting, and that the new walls that were put up in both strip malls were probably mixed in with some Pac-20, which is something that you can, a chemical you find in, like, photography dark rooms, um, which basically would have made the those new walls flammable and, like, go kaboom. He's so smart. So, yeah, a similar T. <laughs> But so, yeah, so basically from that, you know, they've got, like, a lot to go off of. And so then the scene that we were referencing earlier, like, Severide pulls Casey aside, and he's like, yeah, you know, Seeker's been asking about you. And Casey's like, you're blind. He's like, it's so obvious that Seeker's into you, and if Stella saw this, it would not go well. Right. And, yeah, so basically Severide and Seeker have dinner, and, you know, they're figuring things out, and it's like, definitely very obvious to everyone that like Seeger is so into Severide. Boo. Like so into Severide. And so they ultimately, they come up with this guy's name, Conrad, who is, they figure out that he's probably the guy who actually did it. And so they get called in to help with the spray on Conrad's warehouse and, you know, where it has all his stuff or whatever. And I just, yeah. You know how in certain episodes there will be a character named after an NBA player and, like, you're just like, hey, that's hilarious. Yeah, when Derek referenced, like, half the Utah Jazz. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was so, a great episode. I, I kind of want to know who the soccer fan in the fire writer's room is because the guy's name is Jimmy Conrad. And when that happened, I, like, nearly did a spit take. Um, there's a former U.S. soccer player named Jimmy Conrad, and he's so funny and, like, the nicest person in the world. So, like, for him to be named – or not necessarily him, but for the villain's name to be Jimmy Conrad, I about busted out laughing because I was like, that's hysterical. Um, Did Jimmy Conrad ever play for Chicago Fire? Oh, good question. He played for Kansas City. I don't think he ever played for Chicago, but I'm just going to, like, double-check that. Um, I think he might have been one of those guys that only played for one MLS team in his entire career, which is, like – when, when that happens, like, you know that person is just, like, insanely likable because, obviously, they've stuck around for that many years. And so um, let me see who he played for because I know he played for, the, he played for Kansas City um, and he played for the United States. 
and it's going to load the rest of this, but yeah, he's, he was one of those players who like, you know how there are certain players in the league that like, no matter who they play for, like you, you can't dislike them. They're just such nice people that like everybody likes them. Yeah. Yeah. And that's Jimmy. So um, that's why it's so funny. I think he played for the Galaxy at one point, um, but not the Chicago Fire. It would have been so perfect if he had played for the Fire. But um, yeah. I really, I, I want to know who, like, who is the soccer fan in, in the writer's room? Like, reveal yourself. Um, yeah, no. So, yeah, it was um, San Jose and then Kansas City. And then he went back to California. So, no, no Chicago Fire. But LOL, I see you, soccer fan in the writer's room. I see you. So, basically... They end up at this warehouse, and they don't find Conrad, but they do find a bunch of stuff that an arsonist arsonist would have. So, definitely the guy. And so, Seven Seeger, go tell Dustin the good news, that he's, like, eventually going to get cleared, and he's going to get out of jail, blah, 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 all that stuff. And Dustin's like, yeah, you know, I wish you guys were on my team back in the day. I probably could have had, like, three years of my life back, you know, blah, 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 whatever. So, they leave. And, you know, Seeker tells Severide, she's like, you know, all those little voices you hear in your head, like, they're telling you to stay in arson. And I'm like, no, they're not. No, they're not. They're saying go back to squad. Right. Come back, please. And so they end up getting, the episode ends, like, they end up getting called back to the warehouse. And because, you know, they want to make sure someone needs to be there to make sure the evidence texts don't blow their fingers off, which I kind of find hysterical. (laughs) Um. And basically it ends and Sephard goes in the basement just to like poke around and he comes across Conrad himself and Conrad wants to like blow him up and then it fades black and I was like, okay. He, he was going to blow him up with like a Roman candle or something. It was literally like he just like set off a 4th of July firework in front of him. Yeah, I was like, okay. Yeah. And even at one point, you see like Sephard's face, he's like, oh, okay. Like, yeah. <laughs> he's like, okay, this is just another day. <laughs> Weird. Yeah. Well, and I kind of, like, so Kate sent us this email, and she brought up this point, which I kind of thought was interesting, and I kind of agree. She's like, you know, my biggest, ugh, about, like, the whole thing, like, all the finales was that, like, the continued use of, like, will this main character make it, like, in finales? And she's like, in this time around, it goes for Severity and Jay, and I'm like, yeah, I kind of, I kind of agree. I'm not that worried about Severide and TBH. I'm not, I'm not worried at all. Nah. Like, Kelly. Oh. Yeah, Kelly will find his way out. Like, I... Yeah, I'm not worried about Kelly. Like, and even when I saw that, because I saw this episode early, and I was like, yeah. Like, I couldn't have cared less. I was like, okay. I mean, they always say that it's like, you know, firefighters who think they're invincible are, like, really dangerous, and, like, that's not good. But I really think Kelly Severide might be invincible. I just, yeah, I just, and it wasn't even that. I just, it more was just like, okay. Yeah. We killed off Otis this year. We're not, we're not killing off Severide, like, I was like, you know what? Okay. Yeah. Not and maybe that's me like being too complacent, but like, yeah. He'll, okay. He'll kick his ass. He'll he'll ass kick his way out. I'm not too worried. Yeah. I'm. Yeah. Not worried about this at all. Yeah. He's fine. So elsewhere across Chicago, Stella is just like this poor girl, just running herself ragged. I feel bad. Like, twenty four hours in a day, man. Yeah. It's brutal. Um. Do you want to take us through Stella or should I? I'll do it. Go ahead. So basically, Stella's stuff starts with, Chuck gets called to the scene where this guy, who is a criminal, which I feel like they don't make clear enough until the very end. No. But this guy, who is a criminal, is like climbing up the building and he's like slipping, you know, whatever. 
I don't know why he was a criminal, and I don't know why he's climbing up this building, but he is. He's got to be, like, protesting something, right? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't get it. But, like, who thinks to protest something by, like, climbing up a building with suction cups? Right. I don't get it. Right. But I also, here's something else I don't get. Hmm. Okay. I feel like we need to distinguish the difference, and I don't really know what the difference is either, or somebody needs to distinguish this. Like, what calls truck would take and what call squad would take because this call seemed like something that was meant for squad and like yes. why was like i thought truck was more like fire base and then like squad was like rescue mm-hmm. so like why didn't squad take this call good like, I don't get point it. that's a really good like, question like i saw that and i was like okay great like truck's there like you know cool like and it was cool to see, like, Gallo make his first save. And I was like, yes, this is great. But then I was like, but, like, shouldn't Kelly be doing – I mean, like, shouldn't Cruz – and maybe it's honestly because Kelly's not there. And, like, do we really need to see Cruz take Cap and Tony out on the call? <laughs> not really. But, like – I would actually pay I good just, money for that. Right. I mean, I I would. But, like, you know. But mm-hmm. it's just, like – so maybe that's it. But, like – I don't know. Derek, I need you to explain this to me, please. Yeah. Can you clear that up, please? That's a good question. Good call. Don't know. But it was like I saw that and I was like, wait. Huh? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Also, at this call, Stella has, like, another brain fart. Not as bad as the other ones, but another brain fart. And, like, Kelly or Casey kind of yells at her. Although, I have a feeling Casey was more yelling at her because he was also in his Dawson feels. But, whatever. Besides mm-hmm. the point. He also... <laughs> And Gallo makes his first save, and he's just, Gallo is literally the most precious cinnamon bean, cinnamon roll, bean, bean, whatever, all of it combined. They grow up so fast. I I know. It's just, so cute. (laughs) He's adorable. I can't help it. Like, yeah. And and so, yeah. So basically, after shift, Brett and Foster notice that Cell is super tired, and they're like, go home. And she's like, but I have my academy stuff, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, no, we'll call sick and sick for you go home get some rest and so she does and as soon as she starts driving away she runs a stoplight or a stop sign and runs straight into another car i love how they did this though i definitely like that was unexpected you thought that was unexpected i knew it as soon as it was as soon as she drove away that was what's gonna oh happen. no i didn't they took the camera angle with brett and i was like that's an interesting angle and then like you hear the crash and i was like oh oh good well played no but the camera angle is so that, like, if you pay it, like, if you, it's focused on Brett and Foster, but, like, you can still see Stella's car. You can see the crash happen in the background. Yeah, yeah, which I know, but obviously I wasn't paying attention till the crash, like, till we heard it. And then I was like, oh, well played. Yeah. But so, luckily, though, the mom and the girl from the other car are fine. Yeah. But Stella is, like, flipping out. She's like, I, she's like, you know, I'm just so used to driving the truck and, you know, not having you know, putting the sirens on and being able to run things. She's like, I, you know, I just, I ran it. I was just, I wasn't thinking. Poor thing. I did see a lot of tweets and questions and people were like, why did Sylvie and Foster even let her get in the car? But I mean, I'm imagining they probably just thought she wasn't that tired. Right. Like she's tired. She's not drunk. Right. Though they Which say I mean, after enough sleep deprivation, like you start to act like you're drunk. Right. But like, is she sleep deprived or is she just not getting enough sleep? Don't know. I don't know. But and Severide shows up and it's like adorable that he like ran and just oh. I know. He's a like boyfriend. 
fear. I love and that like the doors opened and he didn't even acknowledge the rest of the house. He just beelined straight to Stella. Just they're adorable. And then like, you know, she was beating herself up over and he was like, okay, but you're okay. Like you're fine. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. And so he takes her home and like forces her to get some rest and like he tucks her into bed and it's just, oh. just, just burn that image into my brain, please. And thank you. Awesome. I know. I know. It's so good. Mm-hmm. And so Stella ends up coming back, you know, back at shift and she apologizes to Bowden and he's like, you know, I'm actually the one that owes you an apology. It was like, your accident was honestly a wake up call for me. And, you know, he talks about how she was after Otis died, you know, he, in his way of processing things was looking for a project and she kind of just became that project. And she's like, honestly, I liked being your project, you know, you showed me that I could be a leader in the CFD and you gave me confidence, like more confidence than I've ever really had before. And he's like, you know, I don't, she's like, but she says, she's like, you know, I don't want you to regret choosing me. And he's like, never. Mm. And I just here for the pro T here for this pro TP. So good. And when she hugged him and was like, you mean the world to me? I was like, Oh, same. Same. Never be afraid to tell the people you love that you love them. I love it. I'm still just like, I'm just riding this wave of happy stellar ride. It's again, the best. I know it was the best nine episodes we've had so far ever. It's, it's really wonderful. I just, yeah, just really wonderful. Digging it. Yeah. The best. So last up we had cruise. And so, I mean, as if, as if the Dawson stuff wasn't enough of like an emotional blow, we just kind of like added this in on the back end too. And so Bowden asks for everybody's help moving ambulance supplies to a different cabinet. And when they're doing so, Cruz finds Otis's old drone. So this was a toy that we didn't know about. I was thinking for sure it was going to be the Japanese robot or something. Yeah, you were convinced it was the robot. I wonder what they ever did with that robot. I don't know. It's probably in a prop department closet somewhere. No, no, I'm talking about 51. (laughs) Oh. Didn't Otis probably like throw it away because didn't it not work? It like squirted out dish soap. <laughs> yeah, Otis probably got rid of it. So great. It's so great. So Cruz is like pretty determined to get it to fly again. And so the propeller's broken, and Gallo and Ritter just suggest buying a replacement from the manufacturer's website. And it's just so cute because Cruz is really trying to navigate this website. And so they end up helping him with that too. And just the way Ritter and Gallo are just sitting there and they're like, so we could, you know, like they don't even have to say it. And Cruz just turns the laptop and is like, fine. <laughs> I love these baby millennials, Gallo and Ritter. It's, like I, I love them so much. I, it's pretty much, it's amazing. It's the best. They are the BFFs I didn't know I needed. I, I love them. Like, I just, like, I can't, and I can't, like, talk, not talk about them with, like, out this big smile on my face. Like, I just, I love them so much. Because they're so cute. I know. I just want to pick them up and put them in my pocket and just, like. I just want to, like, pinch their cheeks and be like, oh, my God, they're so cute. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. For sure. And so Cruz eventually comes clean and he's like, you know, I broke the propeller. I hit it from Otis. You know, I just really feel like I need to fix this thing because, like, I need to. And so Cruz still can't get it to work. And so Gallo and Ritter give him a diagnostic table so that he can figure out what the issue is. And when he plugs the drone in, there's an old video of him and Otis flying it for the first time. So did they, I know, so did they buy the diagnostic cable like 
was that what was their goal here to like to show him the old video they found or to literally fix the drone? I think it was like they probably figured the propeller wasn't going to work. So they're like, we're, we're going to buy this for him just as like a backup. Oh, my God. And so it's this old video and it's really sweet. And I'm like already feeling choked up talking about it. But in the middle of the video, you know, Herman's giving them crap. And Otis just goes, you know what we have that you'll never have? And he says, best friend magic. Oh, my God. <laughs> like my heart I can't handle this I know and so when I mean when Derek had tweeted out the episode title for this episode I was like well that sounds odd like I was thinking it was going to be just like some rando quote I really like I mean I always try and think of the context for these episode titles and I always get them dead wrong which is like I guess that's half the fun of it but this was just so sweet and so innocent and like pure and just like Otis saying we have best friend magic is like the cutest thing I've ever heard in my life. And it really makes me wish that my BFF watched these shows so I could text her and be like, you know what we have? Best friend magic. Yeah, well, and then they even scream after. They're like, Crotus forever. And I was just like, oh my God. Oh my God, I know. And like the image as the drone flies away and just, oh. Well, and you know what makes my heart even like, it makes me like cry even more. So I was reading the EW post more to my guests it was like with Derek but they also talked to Yuri about it because you know Yuri came back like just for this scene and I just uh, I just and Derek was talking too about I'd have to pull it up so I could like because I want to get it right specifically um but Derek was talking about how he kind of always had this idea for something that happened like in his own life mm-hmm. um with like one of Derek's friends from college I think Let's so see. I want to get it Let's see, where is it? Oh, yeah, it was inspired by, you know, something Derek went through. Um, He had a good friend in college named Tommy who died in a car wreck right after they graduated. And so Derek was talking about, you know, he took the time to grieve the loss of his friend. But then, like, two and a half years later, as he was leaving his apartment, he found this video camera that he had in college. And, you know, he, like, put on the tape. And then you, like, see Tommy's face and, you know, just all that stuff. And so he was like when Yuri and I were talking about this summer he's like I told him that story and said you know like why don't we do this in the finale in the winter finale and I was just like yeah just I just hearing Otis be like you know what we have like best friend magic oh it's just so pure and sweet and heartbreaking at the same time yeah, and, you know, then Yuri was talking about, like, putting on the costume that day. It was bittersweet, and it's just like, oh. So I guess for yeah. Joe, I mean, that video was probably worth more than fixing the drone. Yeah. That would have been for me. Oh my goodness. Mm. No, never had best friend magic. Oh, my God. I, I just no. It just, it like, it hurts so good. Like, I know. I know. Just it, it's just a sucker punch in the feels. Like okay, so the two times I cried during this episode, I cried when Gabby and Casey saw each other for the first time, and then I cried when Otis said best friend magic. And like I, every time I say it, I'm just like, mm. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah. <sighs> so circling back to Dawson for like a second, there were two little things that I wish that like we'd gotten to see. So I wish we had gotten to see Gabby's introduction to Ritter because we got to see Gabby meet Gallo. Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah, I wish we'd gotten to see that. And I really wish we could have seen Joe tell Gabby about his engagement. Oh, my God, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, 
here's the other thing, too. If Gabby hasn't kept in touch with anyone at 51, how did she know about Otis? Did Antonio tell her? Was Antonio technically around then? I would imagine. No, Antonio no. wasn't technically around. Um, maybe she's still Facebook friends with people. Because you know how you're Facebook friends with people that you don't necessarily talk to? Yeah. I, I just, yeah. Maybe Facebook. I don't know. God, that maybe. would be such a horrible thing to come back to, to be like, welcome back, Otis died. Right. Oof. Oh, God. Like, I, I just, I already feel like my heart's been, like, stomped upon again. Not as badly as I did on Wednesday night, but, like, now talking about fire, I'm just like, oh, I'm, like, I'm sad. <laughs> um, so any notes about fire? No. Any I mean, other notes? A good, solid finale. It was. It was a good, solid finale. And so, you know, just kind of seeing where we go from here. So... All right, last up is PD. Um, this was like the most stressful hour of television ever. See, maybe because I already kind of knew what happened, I didn't think it was as stressful. But I understand why it was stressful for like watching in real time. I literally found myself watching the clock, not to be like, oh my God, this hour is going so quickly, but to be like, how many more minutes do we have to endure? Because it was intense. You guys were the most active in this hour, like in our group text and like did not stop blowing up the phone. It, we couldn't, we couldn't help it. It was just, it, it was, yeah, it was rough. I mean, it was rough. Like, you know, when, like, um, you know, when Ellen sends people to a haunted house and they're like holding on to each other for dear life. Like, I think that was our version of it. And I think that's why we were blowing up the group text is because we were all like doing the virtual version of holding on to each other for dear life. Yeah. And so yeah. um, Gavin Harris wrote this one, worth noting, because Gavin also wrote the episode when Atwater was kidnapped. And Gavin is responsible for some of the most powerful episodes of recent seasons. Oh, I love his episodes. Gavin, please come on the podcast. We just want to talk. We don't bite. Right. We just want to be friends. We just want to be friends. You are very talented, and we want to talk about that talent. We don't bite. Right. No. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Gavin wrote this episode, and in a way, I kind of felt like I kind of had a very, like, how dare you attitude about it, because I always think of 301 in terms of, like, oh, man, remember that time Jay got kidnapped? I'm so glad we got past that. Never once did it ever cross my mind that, like, oh, hey, he could get kidnapped again, and it could be worse than 301. And so, yeah. Yeah. That never crossed my mind. So, of course, knowing what went down in this episode, I'm like, how dare you? Right. I Yeah, I can't believe we actually went there. And it was like a total ambush, too. It was like, I mean, we knew that it was going to, we knew that something was going to happen in the mid-season finale, but I don't think we knew it was going to be this bad. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. we start this episode, and Jay is playing baseball with a little boy. And the little boy is Marcus West's son. Again, Marcus West from the facial recognition episode a couple weeks ago, who Jay put in jail, and he's the innocent man who was murdered. Oh, my gosh. Like, wow. So he basically tries to give the family grocery money. He's basically just trying to take care of this family. And so Haley's been following him. Thank God. Because, you know, she figures out and she's concerned for Jay, but Jay's just like, it's no big deal. I've got it. Which, like, Jay, when you say you've got it, you don't got it. You don't got it. 
And so, mm-hmm. no. And so intelligence finds a body. They go to the scene. The scene is bad. Like, didn't the guy, the guy who got murdered, like, he had, like, jumper cables on his ears, right? Yeah, it was bad. It, I, it, it was bad. It was weird. Really weird. And so Jay gets a call, and he tells Haley he's got to take off, and he leaves. And so he shows up to a house, knocks a door in, and then gets knocked out himself. And this is, like, three minutes into the episode, and boom, Jay is missing. Are you kidding me right now? Yeah. Also, it wasn't even a thing where, like, he got hit in the head and just was, like, boom, passed out. Like, he got hit in the head, and there was blood everywhere. So much blood in this episode. So much blood. So much blood. And in the stuff that Jesse had been posting, he said that the episode was, like, very sticky because there was corn syrup everywhere. Well, and I think the Wolf Entertainment Twitter account was talking about, too, how there's, like, all the different kinds of blood. You know, it's, like, the the whatever, the whatever to make the dried blood. And then, like, they use, like, a more watery blood to, like, show, like, the current blood. It's just, like, ew. Like, all this. It's gross. Gross. Just gross. Gross. So we get a little Berzik scene, which, like, I'll take that. Thank you. Um she's she's nauseous she's got morning sickness and it's it's actually a sweet scene because you know adam's like okay listen like i know you said what you said you want to handle this on your own but i'm here for you you know that's it i'm here for you there's a little smile and you know marina had mentioned in her interview she was like yeah like my hair's not done i don't have makeup on like i look like a mess but also like she looks adorable so that's what burgess looks like when she looks like a mess like not too bad right not too bad so we got a question from Haley about the Berzik baby and the Berzik pregnancy. And she had some good questions in there. So she said, do you think if she doesn't tell anyone and still goes out in the field, something happens to her and that's the cliffhanger for the season finale? No, because Marina told you that she tells Kevin. So, yes, no, that's true. She tells Kevin and then she said 7-11 and 7-13 were big baby episodes. And then there was a whole Rick Eyed that Rick Eyed interview for with Give Me My Remote where he was like, Yeah, like, you know, that's gonna be like a thing we explore, like how does purchase self weight, you know, blah 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 blah. Like so Yeah, no. Um and Haley also said, you know, do you think if the writers follow through with the baby and they carry the pregnancy over the next season, do you think the baby is born in the first nine? I'd be okay with that. Yeah. I'm almost starting to hope that they do carry through with it because I mean it's it's still going, right? Like don't cop out now. Yeah, I think they are. I mean, we'll so, see, but... I don't know. Yeah. And she also says, do you think we will start to see a more protective Ruzik if Burgess does try to go into the field while pregnant? Absolutely. Well, as soon as she tells Voight, it's over, though. Oh, yeah. No, that's... that's It's done. The minute she tells Voight, he's going to be like, and behind the desk you go. Yeah. Jeez. So, Jay didn't show up for court. Everyone's worried about him. They roll up to a house. He left his badge and his gun in there. All they find is a shit ton of blood. So, Haley comes clean to Voight about who Angela Nelson was. And she just says, you know, I think Jay still blames himself for that. Which we'll get, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. We'll dive in. So, Jay's, Jay's getting his ass beat by a guy who he thinks that he, this guy basically thinks that he and Angela stole heroin from him. And so Jay straight up asks Angela and she tells him that she did steal the drugs with her friend Carlos. So Ubzik go to find Carlos. Carlos has OD'd. So that's a dead end. And they basically, Boyd just tells him to keep digging. And so Jay tells Angela to stay strong. You know, they're going to get through it, whatever. Because I mean, you know, Angela's not used to this. Jay, not to say that he is, but you know, Jay's a lot more calm and collected about it. 
And so, you know, Angela just kind of starts to talk about Marcus. And she says, joke is, Marcus was the one who was weak, you know, couldn't stay off the drugs. Maybe if I was stronger, I could have gotten him straight and then none of this would have happened. Mm. So intelligence gets the name Pedro Silva as a possible sub suspect. Two of his sons match the eyewitness description and they're in the wind, so they're probably involved. So Ruzik finds the nexus between Pedro and Darius Walker. And so Darius had basically helped bail him out of a weapons charge a few years ago, so he might be able to help. The minute that they brought Darius into this, I was like, I feel better about this because, like, Darius knows how these things work. He gets stuff done. So I, I felt a little less tense when Darius had a connection to it. I don't know if you felt the same. No, but I was just more, I was, I'm glad we're still using the Darius stuff. Like, I like that he, like, keeps coming back. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like it, too. Um, and so Kev goes undercover and meets with Pedro, you know, with Darius by his side. And I love this because, like, there is straight fire in Kevin's eyes. Like, you can tell he is pissed that, like, somebody took Jay and, like, that's not cool. We're coming to get him. And, I mean, he's, like, you can just tell there's, there's just, like, fire in his eyes. And so he basically says, we'll give the drugs back and an extra 50000 if you give us Jim, and I quote, and Angela. So Jim is what Jay was going with for his undercover name here. Um, so Pedro agrees to meet, and Angela starts asking Jay questions about where his, his people, and I quote, knew to find the drugs, but he's just like, don't, don't worry about it. Like, stop it. And so they show up to the meeting without Jay and Angela, and they also start shooting. That's not cool. That's not cool at all. Um, but also, it's totally worth mentioning, Burgess with the long gun in this episode taking the sniper shot? Hell yes. Hell yes. Hell yes. That was pretty badass. But my first thought, though, was, like, kind of going back to the Voight, like, sitting Burgess behind the desk as soon as he knows she's pregnant. Like, if, if Voight knew in that moment, Burgess would not have the long gun. No, that's true. But also, Which, so like, I'm glad. Like, I'm glad we got that moment before it gets taken away from us but yeah i mean but we also we know that kevin is the next one to find out we found that out today so what happens when kevin finds out do he and ruzik just kind of like tag team to protect her or does kevin be like uh sarge i don't know it's a great question granted it's not really kevin's news to pass along but like i don't know yeah hmm. so they capture Silva, and Jay comes clean to Angela. Jay, what the fuck are you doing? It's, like, halfway through this episode, and, like, they're captured, and there's really no reason for this to happen. But Jay starts to tell Angela all the truth. Like, he's a cop. This happened. That happened. What is he doing? It was such a bonehead move. Well, it, and there, there were certain parts of this episode that, like, some of the writing just kind of made me scratch my head a little bit. I was like, this is, why is he doing this? Like, he knows better because, like, he knows if he tells her this now that, you know, he's got the potential to blow the whole deal. Right. But I think at some point, too, like, she's clearly, like, losing. I mean, she's bleeding because, you know, they stab her. And so she's bleeding. She's kind of losing her consciousness, but also her consciousness. But also, too, like, she's kind of losing steam. I mean, you know, she was saying, she's like, you know, I wonder if, you know, I just done this for Marcus. Like, what we have ended up here, blah, blah, blah. So I think maybe he was trying to, like, boost her up, but, like, dude, not the way to go about it. Yeah, I just, I feel like Jay in this episode is just probably the most reckless we've ever seen him. Reckless, yeah. But I guess... Me? Wait, go ahead. I don't know. No, I'm trying to think of, like, other, 
places where we've seen Jay like reckless. But maybe in this instance, I mean, he's being reckless in proportion to what happened. And so, you know, he got an innocent man killed. And so that's just, there's just so much guilt there and so much penance that he feels like he has to pay. And that's why he's basically just like pouring his heart out. Yeah, but I don't think he's pouring his heart. I think he's, I don't know. I think he's pouring his heart out because he really thinks that it's the best, like it's going to be, it's going to help Angela survive in there. And this is what kills me about Jay is that, you know, in the lead up to this episode, Jesse was explaining it and he was like, you know, he does, he's got a really big heart and he just still, you know, carries a lot of guilt from what happened. And what kills me about Jay is that he, he knows that like, he doesn't know what to do with this guilt, but he just knows that he has to carry it. And so he's just kind of taking it from place to place, like not really knowing what to do with it because he just knows that he has to. Which I find so interesting because I feel like he would have experienced, I mean, obviously it could be in very different experiences, but I feel like he's probably experienced similar things from overseas. Mm -hmm. And so you would think, I mean, granted, I guess it's very different, you know, it's different experiences, like one being in the army, one being like something you did in your own backyard. But like, still, you feel like he would almost know how to cope with his own guilt at this point. I, I mean, I, it's, I yeah. Also didn't go to therapy then, you know. But that's also referencing back to 501. Yeah. Because he ended up in therapy after that one, too. Well, he ends up in therapy. Avoid mandated therapy. Right. Well, like, how therapy is not something you go to for, like, three times and you're done. So, like, if he's not still in therapy, he didn't actually go to therapy, in my mind. But, yeah. you know. So... But, yeah, the minute he tells her, I mean, you just see her basically go from, you know, somebody he's been kidnapped with to an adversary. He totally, he makes an enemy out of her. And I, that's what just kills me is I'm just like, Jay, you had the upper hand. Like, you were doing Jay things. You were handling this just like Jay would. And it's just that you made an enemy out of her. And that just changed the whole thing. Yeah. Some of the stuff she said to Jay was like, I mean, you know, Will was dil- Will was doling out the burns. Jay was getting burned this episode. Uh, mm-hmm. And so Angela said, she's like, I knew in my heart that Marcus didn't kill those kids. But then it gets worse. She says, you know, I don't need your pity or your money. You can't just hand out a few hundred and pretend that this didn't happen, that you're cleansed of your sins, which, again, is true. It's true. Mm-hmm. And then she basically says that, you know, she threatens to tell them that Jay is a cop. Because he deserves to die, but he begs her not to. That part when he looks at her and he just, when she looks at him and just says, like, you deserve to die. I was like, oh my God. Yeah, that I was like, oh. That hurt. It hurt. But I mean, it's such a hard, it's such a hard thing to tackle because I mean, nothing's ever going to absolve him of what happened in that episode with the facial recognition. But I mean, for how long does he beat himself up over it? Well, I feel like, too, I feel like what he should have done, and maybe he'll, when he wakes up, because I'm not, he's not dying, we're, you know, we're not going there, when Jay wakes up, I feel like he needs to take this and use it as, like, a way to help him, 
be a better cop, like not just carry it with him and have it hang over his head. Like, cause there's an easy, you know, obviously it sucked that like, and the technology wasn't ready yet, but like now maybe they know that like, yeah, the technology is only, you know, it can only be so accurate. It can be like 99.9%, but you still have to do the work yourself to like prove it, like show your work, like a math problem. Yeah. And Um, maybe he needs to kind of develop his own code, very similar to how Antonio did. And I think Jay, for the most part, has his own code, but he's learned how to adopt Voight's code into it. And so the way Voight typically rolls is to allow them to go too far. And then when, when they do go too far, he says, okay, that's all right. You were still, your intentions were good. You were going after for the right reasons. But I think we've seen now multiple times that that does not work for Jay and it sets him down a very self-destructive path. Yeah, that's a good point, which is why I think it's so interesting too. And the thing that kind of Jay's or Jesse's line from this whole like press tour previewing this episode that kind of bugged me was every time someone he would like bring this up, he's like, yeah, you know, Jay and Voight, they're close and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, first of all, I don't really think I don't buy it. And second of all, I think if, that's what Jesse believes, and okay, fine. But then Jay needs to find some separation from that, and like you said, build his own code or like you know make it at least more definitive. Right. Right, and so. and just set some boundaries and know what's good for him and what's not. Yeah. Oh, but I feel like that's hard too. I mean, we don't know much about Jay's life pre-intelligence, but you know he's been with Foyt now for so much of his career, like. Yeah. Yeah. So Haley is this poor girl is just like, I mean, she's she's worried as you know, she should be. And so she's in the break room, like she breaks a mug at some point and Ruzik comes in and, you know, she's upset. And so, you know, Ruzik just basically says he's like, we're going to find him like, you know, that like we're going to find him. And I actually kind of like that it was Ruzik to calm her down. I don't mind it. Well, and I can't remember if this was like you're talking about this in our group text today. But the parallel between, or somebody had sent the tweet that had said this, so I don't remember exactly. But basically, the parallel between last time Jay got shot, when Haley runs to Ruzik, and then they end up like having sex and you know comforting in that way. But then this time, when Jay goes missing and ultimately gets shot, like Ruzik comes in and like truly, actually, like comforts Haley. Yeah, just like the parallels between that. It's like oh. Look how far we've come in a year. I think they both know now that, like, they love who they love. So I think, you know, Ruzik knows that yeah. Burgess is it for him. And I think, you know, they're starting to figure out that, like, Halstead and Upton are a thing. Yeah. Also, random, did you see Marina's Instagram story from last night? Yes. Where it was, like, heart filters? I was dying. With the heart filters and then Patty's in the background just waving the American flag just to, like, be a butthead. Yeah, but she's like, oh, yeah, these all these heart filters. Is that saying that you, you know, love Halston or whatever? And Tracy's just like, LOL. <laughs> so, I thought it was funny, though. So they end up using Pedro's youngest son to try and turn him. He finally gives the address of where Jay and Angela are. And so Haley goes in solo because the only way was through a window. And I about almost made myself cry again on my drive home from work today because I was thinking about this moment and remember when he she said that like if I was going to follow anyone blind I'd follow you like she literally followed him blind just just oh my stop yep I literally just got chills stop yep Yep. just you know I'd follow you anywhere she followed him anywhere just you know 
Tell you know, let that hit you in the feels and just like stop talking. Stop talking. <laughs> shut up. Oh, shut up. Just shut know. up. <laughs> I'm not gonna shut up. So Jay gets stop. free. Well, I'm talking about the rest of it now. I'm not talking up Din. <laughs> Keep going. Okay. So Jay finally gets free because, like, fuck yeah, he does. Jay Halstead, man, like he knows his way out of the situation. He gets free. He helps Angela get free, too. He gives her a poll and tells her that he'll be back. Listen, this turned into sports for me at this moment, okay? So when Jay got himself free and he, like, knocked the guy out, I literally was like, it was like sports. I was just like, yeah, Jay, like, go, Jay, like, get him. And so he goes upstairs. He stabs one of the brothers. And again, it's like sports to me. Like, he gets the move. He stabs the guy. I'm like, come on, Jay. Come on, Jay. Like, pass the ball. You got this. And Haley finally finds him. And their reunion. My heart. I just. My heart. It's perfect. It's perfect. I was thinking that like right then and there he was going to look at her and like pass out or something. But oh no, that would have been far too tame and far too easy to handle and digest and totally fine. You know, this kills me though, because like in this moment, like it is over. You are safe, Jay. Like you did the thing. You kicked ass. You did what Jay does. Like, you got this you mission accomplished. Like, you are safe. And he tells Haley, he's like, I need to go back downstairs and get Angela. And he goes to get her, and she shoots him. Which, yeah, and then we get the fade to black to be continued. Son of a bitch. Okay. First of all, we spent way too much time this morning discussing in our group text. Okay. So if there was a gun, <laughs> this is a mystery. Then why did Jay choose the knife as his weapon of choice? Why did he not take the damn gun? Okay, so there were two theories here, weren't there? I mean, so yeah, there's like the I still don't I don't really know where the gun comes from. Um, our friend Amanda was talking about how she thinks it comes from when Jay goes upstairs. That guy, like, when Jay, like, knocks it out of his hands, it gets, like, knocked down the stairs. And then Angela comes around and takes it. But even then, I don't understand. Does Jay free Angela, or is she still tied up? No, so after he frees Angela, when he goes upstairs and has the fight with the guy and ends up stabbing him. Okay. Amanda's theory is that it's that guy's gun that, like, gets knocked down the stairs or something. Mm -hmm. And then Angela grabs it. So it's not the first brother's gun. It's the second brother's gun. Okay. Hmm. I don't... My theory is... I have no theories because I don't understand where this gun came from. And But my point being, regardless of where the gun came from, if there was a gun downstairs, pre-Jay going upstairs, why did Jay choose the knife over the gun like why did he not take the damn gun well and and one of our listeners jennifer she had a really good theory on this too and i liked this one is that you know jay wanted angela to be able to protect herself in case of anything and so jay knows that he can handle the knife he gave her a pole he didn't need the gun what is she protecting i I, I know i don't get it no i know i know there's a million things jay did wrong in this episode let's just be real yeah a million. A million. A million. Yeah. So. I just, 
we spent like so much time debating that this morning though I was like okay I have to bring it up well what about on Wednesday night when we started digging into his possible injuries that was you guys I was not in on that you were just like reading and judging because we 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 yeah it was Wednesday night was really rough okay like after this episode I I just needed to like sit there and like I couldn't go to bed yet I just needed to process I almost cried a fifth time it I again I never had such like a physical reaction to television before in my life like it was just it was brutal and so we all just started speculating and talking based we we dissected the promo we did dissect the promo which is really hard to watch BT dubs um yeah seeing Haley say stay with me Jay it's like every fanfic we read prepping for the fanfiction episode come to life and on like tenfold on like steroids (laughs) yeah 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 um and so yeah we started kind of like diving into that we went down the rabbit hole the the truth of the matter is that like January 8th is like a million miles away and it's going to be a really long rough six seven weeks to get there Mm -hmm. yeah preach so you guys had sent us some really some really interesting takes on this PD episode that were really good, actually. Um, we got one from a listener named Tamara, and I actually really liked what she said here. So Tamara brought, brought up some good points. So she said, you know, definitely in the minority here, but I don't see Angela as the bad guy. We know that Jay's a good guy, but to her, she, he's simply the man responsible for getting her husband killed and tarnishing his name. If anything, I put part of the blame on Voight for going with the cover-up and convincing Jay to do the same. It's all really good points. Yeah, I agree. I I agree with that. I really do. I don't yeah. know if I would have come to that on my own, but I agree with it now that she said it. Yeah, and so I mean, again, it's it's a great point, and I I kind of agree with you on the Voight thing because I mean, if you think about it, this whole thing stemmed out of Voight telling Jay to let it be. Jay couldn't let it be, and Jay doesn't feel comfortable coming to Voight to talk about it, as evidenced by this. So I yeah, mean, well, you saw. Yeah, I mean, you see a little bit of Jay's. You know, when Jay sits down in Boyd's office with him at the end of that episode. Mm-hmm. And you see a little bit of Jay's, like, hesitation. And Boyd just kind of brushes it off, though. Right. But, yeah, you don't really see any follow-up to that. No, no. And so Tamara goes on to say, you know, plus the circumstances that she found out the truth were traumatic. And she had no time to process it. And she acted off emotion. She shouldn't get away with it. But Marcus's name should be cleared. Which, yes, yes, and yes. Yeah. Yes. No. Agree with that. Yeah. Um, and so Jamie had a good take on this as well. Um, you know, Jamie said the preview for the show's return has Angela declaring her desire to get the truth out and make CPD pay. So either that happens and the unit has to face the consequences, which the show generally shrugs off, or even worse, they manage to keep her quiet, which only feels like an even more uncomfortable road to go down. Shooting Jay was obviously not good, but the CPD did get her husband killed and then framed him for murder of two young boys. So she has every right to be more than angry. However, if the show doubles down on the lie, I don't think that's a good light to paint our protagonists in either. Jamie brings up a very good point here that there is still a price to pay. And there's it's like a price on top of a price. This isn't just Angela being a rogue bad guy. Angela's a bad guy from a preceding action. Right. Well, and from PD being the bad guys. Yeah. 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 It's just scary because, I mean, yeah, there, there's still a price to pay and, you know, but if you think about it, it the, the, the price being Jay's life in exchange for Marcus's life is poetic, but also, like, fucking terrifying. Okay, well, we're not going there, so stop saying that. No. Stop saying that. We're not putting those vibes out into the universe. No. When uh, Jay wakes up. Yeah. yeah. When? 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 
They wouldn't. I mean, they just, they wouldn't. No, they're not. Gina, stop. Okay. You guys are like, no, J- Jesse is not leaving. Jesse is not leaving. We are not going there. Any other notes on this episode of PD? No, but dear Lord, that was a tough one. It, it was probably one of the toughest. But there was, this was also one of those things, too, where, like, I didn't really care about the case part of it. I was just like, is Jay okay? Oh, yeah, hands down. But thankfully, the case and Jay kind of were intertwined. Yeah, but I, like, I didn't care. When they weren't on, like, Jay, I didn't care. Granted, I'm glad that it wasn't, like, I'm glad that it wasn't Jay in every single scene, because, like, I can only handle seeing anybody in intelligence injured for so long. I know, but unfortunately, we've had to see it quite a bit. Ugh, it's just, they are our fictional friends, and when they hurt, we hurt, okay? Well, we were talking about even this morning, it was like, Jay's been shot three times now that we've seen. We did, indeed, bust out the running tally of how many times each person in intelligence has been shot. A lot. A lot. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. I mean, Jay for sure has the record. I think if Antonio were still around, he and Jay would be tied, though. Maybe. Maybe? Because, okay, so Antonio got shot early on in fire. He got shot in the Polpo episode. Antonio got shot in fire? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That When he was introduced. Yeah, he got shot. Not like the very first episode, but he got shot. Oh, yeah. Jeez, I'm going to have to go brush that up on my early fire. Yep, yep. Um, And then, yeah, he got shot in the Pulpo episode. And I want to say he got shot one more time after that, but I could be wrong. I feel like he did. Uh, Just, I mean, ow. It just was, it was really stressful, brutal three hours. Yeah. It's just the, yeah, so. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, So, yeah. Um, I think that's all we've got. Um, I am now going to basically put one Chicago out of my brain until, you know, for a minute so I can like binge some comedies and like cleanse my palate. Um, but yeah, as always, Shyhards, you know where to find us. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, meet us on Ollie's right across the board. We've got a tea Public store. Please check that out. They are doing some crazy sales during the months of November and December. So um, we're trying to put up new designs and crank those out. So definitely keep your eyes peeled. Um, follow us individually on Twitter. I am at Gina Watches TV, Bryna. I am at Bryna K13. So we're taking next week off for obvious reasons. It is Thanksgiving. Um, everybody spend time with your families. Enjoy. Um, Bryna, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for the podcast. I love you both so much. Yeah, same. Same friend. <laughs> and I'm same. thankful for the Chicago shows. And this crazy fictional world that has brought us so many awesome friendships and so many awesome people. And yeah, so you guys have a good Thanksgiving. You know, have fun. We'll take the week off and we will be back the next. So bye.